Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone warns you, if you're trans, post-op, you might never orgasm again. You might even lose all your feeling altogether down there. Oh, the tension when you try for that first post-op orgasm and you've got different geometry. You're scared you're going to do yourself harm and the slightest distraction and the mood has gone. But I got there. After many tries and the purchase of a mains-powered vibrator and compared to before, it's totally amazing. And yeah, in case you didn't know, it turns out trans women do lubricate, which was an immense relief. Hello and welcome to HuffPost's brand new weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Rachel Moss. And me, Brogan Driscoll. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. We cover underreported issues and tackle the topics you're too squeamish to talk to your mates about. This week we'll be talking about female orgasms. We'll be joined by New York-based sex educator and workshop coach Portia Brown and Charlene Douglas, who's an intimacy coach and one of the UK's leading psychodynamic counsellors. If you want to join the conversation on social media, use the hashtag AIMYU. I've always really struggled to orgasm, particularly when I'm busy or I'm stressed. I started seeing this guy and we decided spontaneously to go on holiday together. I finally felt like completely relaxed. He went down on me and it was just really like magical where the orgasm like completely takes over your body and I'm with him four years later so (laughs) it really worked out. So female pleasure is a topic that we love talking about on HuffPost because quite frankly why wouldn't you it's a great topic. (laughs) We actually ran a series called How to Get Off on the site earlier this year. We spoke to loads and loads of women about their experiences of pleasure by themselves, with a partner, pleasure after becoming a parent or after coming out or pleasure with a disability. It was a really lovely project to work on. And one of the things that I learned from that project is that for some women, pleasure includes orgasms. And for some women, it doesn't include orgasms. And that is not the goal. And for everyone, it shouldn't necessarily be. So I think something to say at the start of this podcast is you do you. (laughs) If you're happy orgasming, great. If you're happy not orgasming, great. But I do think the female orgasm in general is something that's still a little bit misunderstood in society, which is why we wanted to really hone in on it for today's episode and maybe lift lift the hood on that mystique just oh, a little Rachel. bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did not know you were going to say that. Very, very nice. Um, <laughs> um, we've had loads of women who've got in touch to share their stories 
with us and their experiences and uh, we have some great guests on the podcast today. I do think this is a really important topic to talk about. Firstly, just because we know there's a huge orgasm gap, numerous studies now that have shown that uh, straight men are far more likely to orgasm during sex than straight women. Lesbian and bi women are also known to orgasm more than straight women. There's been loads of studies around that too. It's weird that like there's such an obsession with the female orgasm in like mainstream porn media mm-hmm. you know, films like I think it when Harry met Sally but that just shows how old I am um, <laughs> and yet it doesn't translate to the bedroom yeah yeah totally and as well there are so many products that are named after orgasms and I find that kind of strange so recently Gwyneth Paltrow brought out yet another one of her ridiculous candles this one was called what my orgasm smells like which doesn't even make sense. But that also got me thinking about, you know, the the NARS makeup range mm. where um, I think they've got a bunch of lipsticks and blushes that are all called orgasm or it's called the orgasm range. And I just think you wouldn't have the same thing about a male orgasm. There is no aftershave called jizz. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> there just isn't. Nobody would buy that. So why is the female orgasm put up on this kind of weird pedestal as something elusive and mysterious rather than something that's just a normal part of life? I totally agree. And you had the um, pleasure, sorry, excuse the pun, um, of <laughs> writing about a story that like blew my mind the other day. I'm just going to intro you into it, actually. There was a certain uh, tech startup that decided to investigate the female orgasm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, five guys created not the burger algorithm. joint. Five guys, <laughs> not not five guys. Yeah, not the burger joint. Five men created an algorithm that, in their words, could validate the female orgasm. So they were selling this algorithm to companies that make sex toys, and their argument, again, in their words was that there is currently no accurate way to tell if a woman has really had an orgasm or not, you know, because apparently asking her, apparently that doesn't count. Mm. You can't trust women. Gosh, we're such liars. Don't ask us. So instead of just asking women who are testing sex toys to tell them whether it was good or not, they created an algorithm to judge their orgasms. And this algorithm would hook up in theory, to people's um, fitness trackers or smartwatches and things like that. And it was all based on heart rate. So essentially, they were arguing that if your heart rate reached over a certain amount, you've had an orgasm, whoop-de-doo, this sex toy works. And a um, pitch of this product that they designed or algorithm that they designed found its way onto Twitter. And you can imagine the blowback that it got. Women were saying things like, just trust women Mm. why are you making this the fact that it was five developers who were all male as well Mm. rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way shows how like fragile their masculinity must be yeah definitely the language used throughout the whole thing was really uncomfortable a lot of women were making jokes as well saying well I don't know about you but I've never felt the urge to fake it with a sex toy so (laughs) don't know what that's all about and on a more serious note there were comments from plenty of women who also said a heightened heart rate is not a sign that you've had an orgasm that can happen for so many different reasons one of them being fear you know so to to suggest that oh you've got you've got a fast heart rate you're having a great time in bed is actually a really problematic Mm -hmm. road to go down um, for a lot of reasons to do with consent and just that product just shows that this whole area it needs to do better 
basically. There are still some really outdated and quite dangerous ideas that slip through if you do not keep them in check. That's why we're really excited to have our two guests on today, just to have like a, you know, a really kind of honest conversation about female pleasure and sex positivity and full of like a range of different experiences. So my most memorable orgasm has to be after binge watching Sex Education. Um, I watched series one and two back to back and in them um, there's a relationship with two women and they actually discover that masturbating on their front um, is a way of having a fantastic orgasm. I'd never thought about it before. So I went away, had a little moment, had a little rendezvous session with me, myself and I, and it was the most memorable orgasm I've ever had. I recommend it, ladies. So the best orgasm I ever had was when I was on a lot of LSD. I mean, it was like really intense sex, but the way I can describe it is you know when you have an orgasm it's like it goes up and up and up and up and then you reach the absolute peak the climax but on this particular time on lsd it was like it went up and up and up and then sideways absolute mind bending sensation and afterwards i actually passed out for like a minute and yeah it was really really amazing Now we're joined by Portia Brown, a US-based sex educator and ambassador for the inclusive LGBTQ-owned adult toy store, Candid. She offers one-to-one coaching and workshops for intimate groups and organizations. Her recent virtual workshops have included taboo-busting subjects such as food and pleasure, orgasm enhancement, and enthusiastic consent. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So you say that you had an alarmingly curious attitude towards sex education as a child. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I had a mother who was very uncomfortable talking about sex and bodies and periods and all of those things, but she also loved books and she noticed that I loved books as a kid and she knew that I needed to to know what was going on with my body as I as I grew up and developed. So she gave me a lot of books to read, which kind of created this association between my body, anatomy, sexuality, and all those topics, and independent learning and reading. So I kind of just thought it was a normal thing. Like, everybody reads these books about their bodies, right? Not knowing that I was kind of an anomaly from a young age. It wasn't until I got to college that I realized that other young women weren't necessarily doing that research. So yeah, I credit my my mom with where I am now. We're focusing mainly on orgasms today. So can you tell us what are some of the common myths that still surround orgasms? Yeah, so even in 2020, there are people with their women and people with vulvas are really people with all genders that think that only men have orgasms. There are people that still believe that it's harder for people with vulvas to achieve orgasm or that, you know, women have to have some sort of crazy emotional a psychological connection in order to achieve orgasm. There's a lot of shame about women that 
seek pleasure, that own sex toys, that demand that their partners uh, pleasure them in the way that they want to be pleasured and not in this weird way that men have been told that women's bodies work. Needless to say, none of that is true. It's not harder for people with vulvas to achieve orgasm. And really the demanding that someone pleasure your body the way that you like to is effective communication. And it's not something that is supposed to make men feel inadequate. It's just us expressing how how we feel and what it is that we need to get where we want to go yeah totally why are some of those outdated ideas kind of still around in 2020 what's perpetuating them I think a lot about pop culture when I look back and kind of have done the work to uproot some of the the outdated ideas that I've had I can see a lot of it replicated in sitcoms that I used to watch. Like an example I always give is, I think there's an, yeah, there's an episode of Sex in the City where Miranda's housekeeper finds her vibrator in, in her drawer and there's, she's super embarrassed and the housekeeper is like, I think she might've even like held up the sign of the cross to her or something and like made her feel like this dirty woman. And it was supposed to be embarrassing for her, but really it should be something that's celebrated, you know? And um, a lot of lack of sex education, uh, particularly in the United States, most of the people that I know that have undergone sex education in public schools, you really learn about sexually transmitted infections. And then you might watch the miracle of life, or you might watch someone give birth, but there's really no conversation about sex. There's no conversation about anatomy. People don't have an understanding of how enormous of an organ the clitoris is people don't have an understanding of how women's bodies actually are wired and there's also a misconception that men and women's bodies are vastly different actually the vulva and the penis are anatomical twins it's all the same organs just sort of arranged differently also due to social conditioning there's a lot of focus on the penis in in general and not a lot of focus on the vulva and the vagina. And even some of these words that I'm using, people are uncomfortable using. So it's just kind of a cocktail of problems that lead to these things continuing to be prevalent in society. Do you have any advice for people for what they can do to kind of have better conversations around sex? What can we do on like a personal level? Yeah. So I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're already on the right track. There are so many resources. There are so many YouTubers, so many people like myself that create content so that you can kind of curate your feed and the things that you are looking at and reading and listening to all the time to be more sex positive, to give you the right information instead of sort of this mainstream narrative about sex that we know is wrong, right? That we know needs to be corrected. One of my heroes that I look up to is Shan Boudram. She's a Canadian sexologist. She's based in the US. Hannah Witten is another person that I really love. She makes amazing content. I've been watching her for years and years, sex positive content. There's another one called Horrible Decisions, another podcast and uh, Instagram content creators spelled like whore, W-H-O-R-E, Ible Decisions. And of course, my myself as well. I, I work particularly with women and femmes and we do work on things outside of the bedroom so that we can have a better sex life once you actually reach that point with your partner. And I also work with survivors of sexual assault primarily. So before you joined us, we were talking a little about the orgasm gap, about how research has shown that straight men are more likely to orgasm during sex than straight women, but then queer women also have more orgasms than straight women. 
so we wanted to know in your work have you have you come across this a lot and is there a difference between the way that straight women might reach orgasm compared to queer women it's absolutely come up for me with people that I work with that heterosexual women have fewer orgasms. And that's because the way that we have sex in heterosexual situations is centered around the penis. For women or people with vulvas, the primary way that we orgasm is through clitoral stimulation. The clitoris is not inside the vagina, right? It's on the outside of it. And if you are having penis and vagina sex over and over again, you're more than likely not even ever touching the organ that is made for pleasure. The clitoris is between 4,000 and 8,000 nerve endings. It's the only organ in the human body of any gender, of any sex, that is solely made for pleasure. Yet the way we primarily have sex never touches it, never addresses it, and it's also this big joke that the clitoris like can't be found. It's staring right at you. It's in the same it's in the same spot as the penis. It's just smaller. It has erectile tissue. It ha- gets erections just like a penis does. And if you can't find it, you're probably just not looking. <laughs> you probably don't want you probably don't want you probably just don't want to find it to be quite honest with you. So when queer women have sex because unless there's a dildo or some sort of other device to be in place of penis or to take the place of penetration, there's probably a lot more stimulation on the clitoris. There's probably a lot more exploration on the rest of the body. We also have this idea in heterosexual situations that when the man has an orgasm, it's done, right? Because men have a refractory period. They can't get another erection for some time. So you like, you're physically forced to take a break. That's not true. Even in heterosexual situations, I tell all of my partners this, like just because you had an orgasm does not mean that we're done. We, there are so many things that we could be doing right now that have nothing to do with your penis. And this ticking time bomb, right? During sex of like, oh, once this orgasm happens for this guy, we're done. And I have to try to come before then or else I'm just like shit out of luck. And that's not what happens in in queer situations or with two women or two people with vulvas, right? Because obviously we know that women, uh, we can tire, but we don't have a refractory period, right? And we can, we can go for as long as we want or as long as we need. And women have more patience, I think. So yeah, it absolutely makes sense that that study has found that there's this gap between heterosexual folks having sex and two women having sex because the style is different. What would you say to someone who hasn't been able to reach orgasm before? Wow. So this is a really common problem or a really common challenge for for women. And there's a lot of things that contribute to this. There's a lack of understanding of anatomy. There is social conditioning. There is a religious influence. There is the idea that women are not supposed to masturbate. We're not supposed to self-pleasure. That That's something for men only. And all of this can create psychological blockages that manifest in the physical. And even if you don't have all of that, there's still the not taking the time to explore oneself and embrace oneself as a sexual being and really spend the time to masturbate. 
I and many other women that I know spent a lot of part of our early life self-pleasuring, but not achieving orgasm, but doing it anyway. So that needs to happen. And there needs to be a progression of getting to know yourself and sort of demystifying what it is about your body that's holding you back or holding you up from having an orgasm. Now, there are physical things that you can do. There are physical practices that you can sort of take on and incorporate into your life that will help kind of push your body in the right direction, right? Once you've done all the mental work, what can what do you do with with the physical? I did a, a workshop on around orgasm enhancement and helping folks that haven't been able to achieve orgasm sort of get there. So one of the things we discuss is breathing techniques that can include syncing up your vaginal muscles, squeezing your pelvic floor muscles in sync with the breath as you masturbate or even outside of, of your self-pleasure practice, just sort of throughout the day, doing regular Kegel exercises so that those those pelvic floor muscles are nice and strong. Because really all an orgasm is, is a series of contractions. So you want to be able to make sure that your body can handle that. And the more strength you have in your pelvic floor, the more strength you potentially will have in your orgasm. I think it's interesting, something that you've, something that I've picked up on, sorry, just, just talking here, which I've not heard before. When you, you keep saying self-pleasure practices, could you, t- like, wh- why is that? Is that because, like, to not focus on masturbation or is that a term that people feel more comfortable hearing or could you tell us about that? Yeah, I enjoy the term self-pleasure practice because it takes the focus off of orgasm and puts it more so on just experiencing pleasure and exploring. Also, people think of masturbation as sort of this taboo thing and almost like a watered-down version of sex when in fact your self-pleasure practice, you should be doing that whether you're in a relationship or not. There's a lot of taboo around folks, you know, especially now while we're all some of us are quarantined with our with our partners. There's a lot of uh, frustration around, I still want to masturbate even though my partner is here all the time. What do I do? How do I manage this, right? Because I don't want to make them feel bad. You and your partner need to have a sexual relationship with yourselves outside of your sexual relationship with each other. If all of your sexual experiences have your partner there, then what is there to talk about? How are you ever going to say, I found this new and exciting thing about myself and share it with them and be like, I want to try it with you. I want you to touch me in this way that I newly learned to touch myself, right? So having a self-pleasure practice, thinking of it like a meditation practice, thinking thinking of it like a yoga practice or anything else you do for self-improvement, I think can really improve your life overall. We know you also work in a growing area called decolonizing sex education. Can you tell us a bit about that? Of course. So the first person I heard speak about this, her name is Dr. Zaleka Clark. She explicitly talks about having a very Afrocentric viewpoint on sex. But when I talk about decolonizing sex and decolonizing pleasure, I'm speaking to removing the layers that society puts on us. Things like capitalism, things like white supremacy, things like homophobia and transphobia put on us and our sexuality. We all have a narrative that has been fed to us through the media, through pop culture, through the sitcoms, as as insidious as they can be, that sex is you're going to go on a date with this person, have dinner, see a movie. At the end of it, you're going to make out. If you're lucky, he might go down on you, but you're certainly going to go down on him. And then you're going to have sex for eight and a half minutes, and that's it. 
And sex doesn't have to look like that. Sex doesn't have to be like that at all. And a lot of the limitations that we have around sex and around our bodies and around all of our thoughts about sexuality stem from a really insidious place that started, at least in America and I know in a lot of countries, with colonization, this idea of taking instead of giving and sharing, right? And this idea of decolonizing sex, decolonizing pleasure, ultimately makes space for fat bodies, for black bodies, for disabled bodies, for queer people, for trans people, for all of the identities that are to come that we don't even know about yet. It makes space for those people so that everybody involved can feel like they have access to their sexuality and their pleasure. And you don't have to have, you know, white skin, blonde hair, blue eyed, thin, this ideal, unattainable image in order to access pleasure and in order to access sexuality. So what else do we need to change about language when we're talking about orgasms for this topic to evolve, do you think? I think it would be really great if we stopped using gender. I think that if we sort of deprioritize men and women and start talking about the bodies that people have, I think we could be far more inclusive because there are people in this world that don't identify as men or women. There's a lot of binaries around sexuality. It's like, it's good or it's bad. It's right or it's wrong. You do this or you do that. But there's a lot of, I won't even say gray area. There's a rainbow, really, of options for us. And we, in order to access that rainbow in every single color and find the area that is greatest for us, we have to talk about sex more. That is a great way to end this interview I think talking to you has been an absolute pleasure (laughs) I shouldn't say pleasure excuse that pun there but it's been delightful I've really enjoyed everything you said I think it's so fascinating and I've learned a lot we have one last question actually that's a little bit of a lie and that is what makes you uncomfortable I think that okay so I I have two I have two things that make me uncomfortable one of them is people touching my feet And the other thing that makes me uncomfortable is assumptions, not necessarily people assuming things about me, but just assuming things in general. Brilliant. They're great choices. Um, Thank you so much. It's been a joy to have you on, as Brogan said. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. It's been a a great conversation. I appreciate all the work that y'all are doing. It's so important. About two years ago, I was going through a really difficult personal um, moment and ended up on antidepressants. It's the only time in my life where I've ever struggled to orgasm. And it was horrendous. Think something that obviously otherwise would have made me feel better, comforted, okay with the world. It just suddenly wasn't available to me anymore. Um, I gained a new partner and it really impacted the initial time when we were together. I came off the antidepressants my orgasms came back it was great but it was genuinely a really fearful time for a moment you just heard from Portia Brown and you can find out more about her work at Foretics at Sology on Twitter YouTube and Instagram and now we're joined by Charlene Douglas who's a psychodynamic counsellor and intimacy coach she specializes in sex and relationship coaching and is an expert on E4 sex clinic Charlene also runs her own private practice where she works with both individuals and couples to develop more fulfilling sexual relationships. 
She works with clients struggling to have orgasms, those with erection issues, painful sex, and much more. So Charlene, hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, thanks for having me. When it comes to women and orgasms, which is what we're focusing on today, can you give us a bit of an insight into some of the issues that you come across during your work as a therapist? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the main issues that I come across would be women, vulva owners come to see me because there are issues around having an orgasm. Oftentimes we're told that to have an orgasm it's you know penis and vagina sex like that's the way to do it and you know for so many women that's not the way that works for them. What does your role entail in that context how do you help people work through some of those worries and issues? Yeah so one of the main things is what we call psychoeducation so helping people to understand what sex really is so yeah to be honest it takes time because if you think about it if you're like a 30 year old person then you've had 30 years of being told that this is what sex is so so oftentimes people come they want sort of a magic pill to kind of make it all you know to, to make their to make it all go away make their their views change maybe and there's lots of resistance sometimes because people struggle to accept that actually what I've learned may not all be true so a lot of the work that I do with clients is to look at you know what is, what does your body actually want so it's various activities various exercises that I do in the session with clients where we look at you know what are you really feeling? What do you like? What do you not like? What do you fantasise about? To kind of give themselves permission to fantasise and to listen to what their body wants, not just what the world tells them they should do. And there's a really powerful exercise I do with clients where I take them through like a guided meditation session. And when their body's feeling really relaxed, I start to I just say certain words like orgasm or masturbation and ask them to notice in their body what they're feeling when I say those words. And oftentimes it's a very emotional activity or exercise because they notice that actually when you say the words orgasm, you know, I feel really tearful. Or when you say the word masturbation, I just felt quite sick. And so we were able to then explore what that's really about. So what is a normal orgasm? Is there such a thing as a normal orgasm? And how would you know for sure that you've definitely had one? I suppose the best way to describe an orgasm is just that that build up of sexual energy um, in your body. So you'll notice that your heart's beating really quickly. You know, maybe you're sweating. You'll maybe notice that your nipples are more erect. You know, blood is rushing to your genitals, so it's becoming more swollen. You're lubricating more. So so it's all these types of things that you'll notice. That kind of build-up then will lead to what some people call like an explosion, which is where the muscles have tensed so much that they're now contracting, and then there's a release. Sometimes people notice like a, a form of ejaculation, so lots of lubrication, so sort of squirting. Sometimes people don't experience anything at all. And so of the things in that kind of that kind of extended list you could kind of experience one of those things it's not like you have to kind of check the whole the whole lot off you kind of people experience them in different ways but they're some of the more common things that people say is that right yeah so um in terms of sort of the physical it's likely that you know if your body's really aroused that you would notice the same types of things and sometimes you can have an orgasm where there's hardly any noise at all it's just a little you know you have to kind of really look closely and think did that person just have an orgasm um, which is where I suppose you get that classic line, like, did you come? <laughs> you know? and, um, and although I've always said to clients, you know, if you have to ask someone whether they've come, it's likely that they probably haven't. I sometimes t- have to take that back because, you know, sometimes you can come and it can be very, very subtle, very ladylike. <laughs> 
So something we like to do on the podcast is to encourage our listeners to send their experiences in. And we have two testimonials to play today. The first one is a listener who speaks about an incredible orgasm that she had after having EMDR therapy. One of the best orgasms I ever had was after about nine months of intense therapy. I then slept with someone for the first time and something inside me that had unlocked. And I swear it was like they just touched me and I could have an orgasm. And there was one in particular, I remember when I was on top and it was such a rush. I could feel the energy like all the way from my toes up through my body, out through the top of my head. Just a really sort of spiritual experience. I have no doubt that it's because of this therapy that my body was able to be open enough to do that. And I think all bodies can. It's just we have to go in and, I guess, address our traumas or, or whatever it is that could possibly be preventing us from doing so. Therapies like EMDR, like psychodynamic therapy, like psychosexual therapy can be what you need in order to process that trauma because sometimes the trauma is kind of like trapped, it's sort of trapped in the body and it hasn't been processed in a, in a healthy way. So those types of therapies help to process the trauma and then allow you to really be free and let go. The next testimonial is from a listener who discovered that she could orgasm through having anal sex. So I have this friend who I was kind of seeing in an open relationship and he was telling me how his partner used to come from anal and I was literally like that's a load of crap girls don't do that whatever and I was like being a real dick about it and me and my partner are both queer and we were experimenting a little bit with butt stuff just to see what that was like which normally really really hurt um, but obviously he's used to doing that with guys. So when we were doing it, we tried uh, the position where I was on top facing him instead. And about five minutes in, I had the biggest orgasm ever from my butt. So this was amazing. But then I had to go to my mate and apologize for basically telling him he was a liar when he was telling me the truth the whole time. So there you go. Girls can orgasm from their buttholes. Woohoo! I love that testimonial. She's clearly having a whale of a time even recounting the memory. I think it's maybe a good segue into you telling us about the different types of orgasm, because especially when it comes to cisgender women, I think we often just, you know, focus very much on vulva, vagina. That's about it. So can you run us through the other types of orgasms that there are? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably start by saying there are so many different orgasms so there is sort of the vaginal and the clitoral orgasm that we we know so that's a stimulation of the clitoris or penetration through the vagina if you are going to try anal sex it's really important to make sure that you use lots of lubricant it's obviously important that you you know practice safe sex as well that's something really important to say and to remember there and the key is to really slow down oftentimes you know people have watched porn and you know in porn everything goes right so anal sex it's right yeah let's just go straight in there and that can be really really painful and put a lot of people off anal sex but if the two parties or however many parties slow it down use lubricant enjoy it 
um, then you know they can have a really really great orgasm and they might notice that they have a real full body orgasm where their whole body is tingling and they're having that whole sensation mm. and what about other parts of your body can you have an orgasm from your from like your boobs as well or is that a myth yeah well some people say that they can um through nipple stimulation because there are you know also lots of sexual nerve endings in, in the nipples as well so some people can i think the key is just to try out what works for you so for example through like tantric sex so that kind of more intense gazing at each other breathing together sometimes people find that through that and through kind of thinking about sexual fantasies that that can bring on an orgasm as well there's also a cervical orgasm as well that some people have tried and said it's really really powerful and usually you can you can experience that through the person being behind um, and sort of penetrating from behind and so that's kind of getting closer to like the cervix basically it's you obviously do your therapy with clients but you also host retreats could you tell us a bit about those and what goes on at this delightful delightfully sounding retreat of yours um so the retreats are called bringing sexy back and so the idea is really to bring vulva owners together in a really safe space so over a period of a weekend where they can find out everything they need to know about sex you know they can ask questions We'll have a host of sex experts there talking about the different sex toys and how to use them. So if someone's not quite ready to take a big step like that and go to a retreat, what are some of the first things they can do to explore themselves more or maybe get their partner to explore with them a bit more? I'd really encourage everyone to know your body and to enjoy your body and to find moments where you can relax, where you can touch yourself. You know, if it feels uncomfortable touching your genitals, then then don't start with that. If you feel brave enough, you could also try to look at yourself in the mirror naked and just notice what you're feeling. Notice what you're experiencing. Some of the work I do as well is sort of teaching couples how to talk to each other about sex because it's like there's one thing in terms of understanding your body and what you like, but then to explain what you want to your partner can feel a bit embarrassing sometimes. There are sex quizzes. There's a really great sex quiz. Uh, It's called wesoultrytrit.com. And there are other similar ones where both you and your partner fill out the quiz and then it kind of matches your answers and then you can it really helps to generate conversation so those are some things you can kind of do at home before sort of accessing therapy and also reading books as well so yeah there's loads of books around to think of there's a book i've been reading here actually called becoming orgasmic which is really really good there's another one called come as you are reading books are really quite important as well and i definitely recommend lots of them they are really great tips and really really fun and unintimidating tips i think as well which is the main thing We've got one final question for you, and it is a question that we ask every guest that comes onto our podcast, and that is, what makes you uncomfortable? Hmm. (laughs) Interesting question. If I'm really honest, so obviously the work that I do, I attract very interesting people, and probably sometimes I get phone calls from men, (laughs) to be honest, and sometimes I can hear that they're masturbating as they're talking to me and you know I'd often say are you okay and they'd be like yeah so um that's probably very uncomfortable I think what's difficult with that is that because some of them could be quite unwell maybe mentally unwell so I then still have to respond in a very positive and professional way and help them in terms of sort of other services that can support them but that's that could 
that can feel very uncomfortable. God, that sounds really difficult. Yeah, no, most definitely. But I think it kind of comes with with the work, you know. Yeah, I'm always conscious when I say words like comes, you know, because it's like comes with the work. But um, yeah, (laughs) excuse the pun. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I have learnt loads. It was great. When my endometriosis caused me to develop vaginismus, the impact on my emotional well-being was devastating. I set out on researching different ways how to orgasm. Through my research, I taught myself what muscles to relax, where to focus my breathing and my energetic intentions. The result is now that I can literally think myself to an orgasm, completely hands-free. It also means that every time during intercourse, I orgasm. Every single time, ladies. And sometimes more than once. I really enjoyed both of those chats. I think one of the things I found most amusing was the fact that Portia hates the word masturbation, even though she is incredibly sex positive. Comes back to your thing at the start, you know, we've all got our boundaries. That's hers. Yeah. She, she doesn't like that word. I also just learn a lot about orgasms too. How about you? I feel like I learn more in that podcast recording than I did like in all of the sex education at school Mm -hmm. that said actually I mean I had like one lesson of sex education at school like an hour of it but yeah it was really great and I like the term self-pleasure practice I think that is very 2020 it's very wellness but I I like it I think it sounds a bit less aggressive than masturbation yeah I agree I'm into it. And also something that I noted down, which made me laugh, is the idea of this quiz, a sex quiz. Because the kind of quizzes I do online is like, what cat are you? Um, (laughs) And things like that. So it sounds like maybe a bit more of a useful quiz to do rather than just finding out that I'm like a tabby cat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, really good. And another thing that I am sure that people will have like heard Uh, like listening to the podcast or picked up on which I think is a really important thing to say is how both of our guests spoke about women and vulva owners because when we talk about pleasure you know we have to be really inclusive of our language and I just wanted to flag that and I thought it was great yeah everyone deserves pleasure everyone's welcome in this podcast Um, (laughs) and that is sadly all we've got time for this week so You've been listening to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Please subscribe to our podcast and give us a really lovely review. I'm Rachel Moss and you can find me at Rachel Moss underscore. And I'm Brogan Driscoll and you can find me at Brogan underscore Driscoll. This podcast is produced by Crystal Genesis. Our assistant producer is Rachel Porter and our sound engineer is Hazelhurst. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? And the hashtag is A-I-M-Y-U. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.